Well, <clears throat> you have probably uh, heard the saying, if it were easy, more people would be doing it. If it were easy, more people would be doing it. Because so often in life, things that are worth accomplishing take effort. And sometimes it can be a challenge. We have students in our church family that are working right now toward a degree or some kind of certification. And talking to some of you all as parents, you, you tell me what they're going through. And you know they've hit one of those tough patches in their, in their studies, in their curriculum. And, uh, and I know a lot of parents have told their kids, hey, you know, anything worth doing, anything worth accomplishing is going to take some challenges. Is you're going to have to overcome some obstacles along the way. And uh, I know that in my own life, uh, whether it was, it was trying to... Uh, 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 obtain a degree when I was at MTSU years ago or more recently graduate studies at Lipscomb that there were challenges along the way. And it doesn't just go with, with school or studying, it goes with any facet of life that there are going to be challenges. We think about our own family life, we think about relationships, we think about marriages. You know, and there are challenges along the way that husbands and wives have to deal with. And we say that this, this covenant of marriage, this institution of marriage, is worth being involved in, worth being engaged in. But yet, it means that along the way that there are going to be challenges that have to be overcome. And Paul is seeing that in his missionary journeys. I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is finding that, uh, that there are going to be challenges that he's going to be faced with as he tries to do the right thing. Now, uh, the title of today's message, you see what's on the screen, is How to Start a Riot. And we're going to see that in, uh, in what, uh, what Luke writes in Acts 17. Beginning with verse 1, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amph Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a large number of as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. 
But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. I'm going to stop there. We're going to go a little further in Acts 17 in a minute, but I want to stop there for a couple of minutes. And so, and so Paul has, has arrived in Thessalonica. And Luke tells us that it wasn't just on one Sabbath, but it was over a period of three Sabbaths that he went into the synagogues, they allowed him to speak, and he used Scripture. So he's using what we would call the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Bible. And he's using those Scriptures and looking at at the prophecies from the prophets, probably folks like, uh, like Micah and folks like Isaiah. And, and he is using that to show them, hey, the Messiah, the one that was promised has come. And it's Jesus. And so, all he's doing is the right thing, right? All he's doing is spreading the good news. He's telling people about Jesus. And we're told that what, how are the people responding? Well, a lot of the Greek speakers are buying in. They're saying, yeah, I like what I'm hearing. And so they're turning to the Lord. And then some of the Jews, because it is a synagogue, okay, so, uh, so some of the Jews that were in the synagogue, you know, are saying, yeah, yeah, I want to be a follower of the Messiah. I want to follow the Christ. And so Paul is doing what Paul has done. He is having success. He is persuading people, we are told. He's making a case, making an argument, and he is successfully persuading people and bringing people to the Lord. But then what happens? You've got some of these Jews. Because they don't like the fact that some of their fellow Jews are accepting Christ as the Messiah. And then they don't like the fact that some of these Greek speakers who were God-fearing, that have, have come into their synagogue, and now they're accepting Christ as well. And so Luke tells us very plainly, they're what, church? They're jealous. And so then they go to Jason's house where they expect to find Paul and his companions. And when they don't find him, then they drag Jason, uh, whose house it was, out. And they, they have him arrested. But listen to what they're saying. These men who have caused trouble all over the world. Really? All over the world? Okay. They haven't been out of that region of the world, right? I mean, we know where they've been. Yeah, they've been to, uh, they've been all over what is now modern-day Turkey, and they have just now gone into what we would now call modern-day Greece. Okay, so they haven't really gone that far, but yet 
What are they saying? They've gone all over the world. Because people can say anything, can't they, church? People, they've got a mouth. They can say anything. And so, all because they were jealous, they start a riot. And then we go down to verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. We see a pattern here, don't we? That's what Paul did. That was any town that had a synagogue, that's where he started. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So once again, now... Paul is finding that these Jews are much more hospitable than the ones in Thessalonica. And so the the Jews in Berea are uh, examining the scriptures. They're going back and looking through the scrolls and they're, they're finding that, hey, I think he's right. I think this all adds up. And they too are coming to know Christ as Savior. Verse 13, But when the Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So, didn't necessarily have to read that last verse, but it's what Luke is giving us some details about uh, logistics and travel plans there. But do you see what's going on? These people were so jealous that they weren't content to just run them out of the community of Thessalonica. They go over to Berea. Now, I got to tell you, this isn't like going from downtown Hohenwald out to Blondie, okay? Uh, This isn't like going from Hohenwald to Kimmins or down to Riverside or something like that. All right, I had to do a little looking. I had to uh, go to Google Maps and try to figure this out. Thessalonica and Berea are about 72, 73 kilometers apart. Okay, so putting that into English, uh, we're looking at about somewhere I think about 40... 546 miles. Now, if we go a couple blocks north and take a left on US 412 and we go 40 something miles, we would be in Lexington, Tennessee. That gives us a good idea of how far these folks, the, the jealous Jews of Thessalonica, that's how far they had to go to get to Berea. Okay, now it's not the age of the gasoline combustion engine. It's not the the age of, you know, filling up the car with gas and then hitting the road and being there in, what's it take to get to Lexington? About an hour, give or take. And so, uh, and so we're talking about people that had to cover some ground. You know, horses and buggies were not common in this era. 
It was nobility that had chariots. I mean, we're talking about people that had to travel on foot. Now, let's all just relive it, okay? Let's pretend we're jealous and we can go out right now, hang a left on Main Street, and we can walk those 40-something miles to Lexington. Who's, who's in? Who's with me? Yeah, I'm going to be alone on that trip. Stacy, would you go with me? Thanks, babe. See, in marriage there are trials, but we stick it out, don't we, babe? So, yeah. I mean, that, that illustrates the point, doesn't it, church? That these people had enough jealousy. They weren't content just to run them out of their town. They wanted to keep on going. They wanted to run them out of a town that was a few days' journey away. And sometimes you are going to you are going to come across in your life people that are just so difficult. People that are just so determined to wreck your day. Now by and large, most of the stuff that happens to us, we shouldn't take it personally. You know, you, you go into a restaurant and the service that day might not be particularly as good as it used to be. Or you might not get as seated as, as quickly. Have you ever been in a restaurant where there was a bunch of people waiting for a table and people that came in after you got seated before you? And then I'm thinking, do I say anything? And I just and then you go up and say, Yeah, you know, Smith, party of whatever, and uh, those people that were just seated, they were they were seated, they came in after us and well I'm so sorry, we've got you next, Mr. Smith. We've got you next. And so and then I'm I'm, I'm okay. Now, do I think that that hostess got out of bed that morning and said, Greg Smith's gonna come in today? I'm going to fix his little red wagon. I'm going to show him that he's not in control. I'm going to give him an opportunity to practice patience and extend grace. No! Okay? Sometimes things happen. Sometimes in restaurants people get seated because your party is bigger and you need a particular size table. And they had a smaller table available. That's why those people that came in after you got seated first. I'm using restaurants as an example because as you know I eat in restaurants. Okay, that's, that's where I do my best reading, uh, my best sermon prep. But, by and large, the stuff that happens to us, church family, it's not personal, it's not intentional, it's just stuff. It just happened. But sometimes, sometimes in life, people... Are going to be upset with you. And people are going to challenge you. And sometimes you have a choice. Do I do the right thing? Or do I just back away and take the easy way out? As I was up late last night thinking about an example, the best one I could come up with was years ago. And I don't I promise you, I don't, uh, I don't share this because I, I hold any ill feelings. I'm grateful for how it all worked out. But I had some people in a church coming to me. And they were saying, you know, asking me out to lunch and sitting, sitting down with me and saying, Boy, I love to hear you preach. 
love to hear you preach more than the other guy. Now, I was the youth minister, so I was the fill-in guy. I was six, seven, maybe eight times a year guy. I wasn't the every week guy. But I'd been in that church long enough that I remembered this had happened before with a previous youth minister. And things weren't handled well. And feelings got hurt. And, and so there, there was tension in the body of Christ that didn't need to be there. And so the way I handled that was I said, we've got a preacher and his name is not Greg Smith. I appreciate your encouragement. Now, I could have positioned myself because by this time of life I thought, I really feel called to preach. But there's a right way of doing things. And maybe I could have positioned myself to have stayed in that church. It wasn't a healthy place. And I praise God I didn't. And so I took a stand for what I thought was right. And ultimately there was no place for me there. Well guess what? I came here. And I praise God that I did. (laughs) Whether you praise God or not, that's up to you. (laughs) But I praise God that I did. Now, was it was it altogether smooth? Was it easy? No, because you had to put a house on the market and you had to move and wife find a new job and son transfer high schools and so yeah. There, there were some trials in there. There was some stuff that wasn't altogether easy. But if you want to upset people, if you want to upset some people, just do the right thing and keep doing the right thing. And eventually you'll upset some people. And then lovingly you can say, I don't mean to upset you. But this is what I think is the right thing to do. Now, here's how it worked out for Thessalonica. Because we can turn over to the letter to the folks in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians. And I want to read just a few verses from Paul's intro to that letter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the minds of in the midst, excuse me, of severe suffering. In other words, Paul knows what they had to go through. Paul knows what kind of bad characters, as Luke termed it, are in that community. You know, bad enough that they chased him forty something miles to run him out of that town too. So for you welcome the message of uh, the, the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols 
to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, Paul's not a guy who minces words. He's a straight shooter. And so for Paul to say such nice things, he doesn't have to do that. But boy, he says you all turned away because you know there were a lot of there were a lot of non-Jews in this bunch. Okay? And so what were they? They were pagans. And so it's one thing for uh, a, a Jew, a practicing righteous Jew, to convert to Christianity. Someone who knows what it's like to live by a certain moral code. But you take these people that were pagans, that might have been uh, visiting a temple and spending time with the temple prostitutes and things like that. Now for them to be called into a life of high moral calling and standards. That's, that's something else right there altogether, church family. And so, and so he makes, the, makes a point to say, you turned from pagan idols. In other words, hey folks, it's not lost on me the kind of transformation, the kind of length you had to go to to become who you are today. And then later on, he writes a second letter to these same folks in Thessalonica. And reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, just verses 3 and 4, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is, listen to this, is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance in faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So he knows that the bad characters are still there. Uh, the bad characters have some long memories. Anybody who's willing to go from Thessalonica all the way over to Berea, believe me, when they get back to Thessalonica, they're probably going to keep stirring up trouble and making things difficult for the believers in that community. And so Paul acknowledges that, boy, you've become a model for the churches everywhere. And then in the second letter, he says, your faith I see evidence that your faith continues to grow. And so what have we said, church? This Christian walk, it's a journey, isn't it? We call it, there's a reason we call it a Christian walk. Because when you're walking, what are you doing? You're moving in a direction. And it's up to us in what direction we move. And so if we're, are we moving toward the image of the risen Christ? I hope so. I hope we as individuals are, and we as a collective body of believers are moving in the direction of Jesus. And Paul gives us a snapshot of what that looks like, saying that, boy, in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, your faith continues to grow and grow. And that should be what all of us are seeking, church family that our faith continues to grow and grow. Now, as you could tell from possibly uh, 
from the communion meditation this morning, the two readings from 1 Peter. I've been spending some time in 1 Peter uh, in recent days. And so, uh, uh, he says a couple of things that I, uh, regarding this about people saying stuff. Because as I mentioned early on in this message, you know, if people have a mouth, they can say anything. It doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's true. We cannot control what people say about us. We can influence, however, how what they say is received by others. Now think about that for a second. We can't control what people say about us. But we can influence the people that when they hear it, what they think of what they're hearing. In other words, have you ever known somebody that you know, somebody comes to you and they're, they're saying, oh, so-and-so, they did such-and-such and I just don't like them. And then, and then you know, there's that opportunity to throw up your hand and say, wait a second. If you've got a problem with that person, I've got to tell you, my first inclination is to ask you what you've done wrong. Do you follow me? Bob comes to you, and he's complaining about Jim. And so you say, wait a second, Bob. I've known Jim a long time. And what you're telling me doesn't sound like Jim. If you've got a problem with Jim, I think the first place you need to start looking is in the mirror. Now, one of the greatest compliments somebody can pay you is that when somebody brings up brings you up in a negative light and then somebody defends you and says, you know, I've known them a while. And that doesn't sound like them. Are you sure that that's the way it went down? Are you sure that's the way it was? First Peter chapter 2 verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Or in 1 Peter chapter 3, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Listen here. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now you talk about another guy that shoots straight. Read 1 Peter. A good reading of 1 Peter, it's not a long book, reminds you that human nature hasn't changed a lot in a couple of thousand years. And see, church family, we cannot control what people say about us. We can control how we react, and we can control, or at least we can influence the people who hear what others are saying about us. Because if we have lived a life, a life of caring about others, a life of gentleness, a life of compassion, 
If we have lived a life that says, I love God and I love others, then when people say something about us, there's going to be people that say, you know, that just doesn't sound right. I've known her for a long time. Or I've worked with him for a while. And I've never seen that kind of behavior. And that's the kind of people we want to be, church family. We want to be the people that other people say, I know them. And, and that doesn't sound right. They're better than that. We want to be the people that are growing in our faith. We want to be the people that are reflect, reflecting the light and love of Jesus Christ in a fallen and lost world. Let's be those people. Let's be people who are always willing to do the right thing, even in the face of opposition. If you are with us this morning and you are not yet a child of God, I encourage you to do the right thing and confess Jesus as Lord and be immersed in baptism. And if you're with us this morning and there's some other concern that you need to bring before us that we can pray with you about, the invitation is for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing.